one of those weeks. I was in the Eastern Cape because I planned my leave to be, to be away during uh, looting. And uh, on the way back, I came into Port Shepston. Now, I don't know if you saw the video of, um, of Port Shepston, but, but there was like a, a brave heart moment on WhatsApp video that was, that was kind of streamed around of um, an Indian gentleman who was, he gave a speech and by the end of the speech, I was ready to paint my face blue and go out charging the hills. Uh, but he ended the speech standing next to another Indian gentleman, and I didn't know that Rambo was an Indian gentleman, but I know it now because I saw more guns on that man than I, I think I've ever seen in South Africa. And uh, he ended that speech by saying, now as we charge ahead, just make sure you stay behind the cops. And then I knew that we were still in South Africa. But I came down that road driving in because I was going to preach today. And uh, I, was, I was pretty nervous because there was there were all these um, trees and there was rocks on the road and all kinds of things. So I came in driving really, really slowly. And then as I got to the intersection where this was filmed, I looked up and there were farmers and taxi bosses and Muslims, and whites, and blacks, all together manning a station to protect Port Chipston. I have never been so excited to see taxi drivers and taxi bosses in my entire life. Everything has changed. It's required a miracle. But I know that, uh, that for many of us, it has just been so devastating. I think they estimate about five billion in losses that Tons and tons of jobs have gone, over 200 deaths. There, there'll be a tsunami of people leaving South Africa. But on the flip side, there's, there's also a miracle. A miracle about a country that's self-regulated, that uh, we, we could argue and we could say that um, this wasn't an attempt to get a person out of prison. This was an attempt to get a president out of office. This was... This was in some, some ways, many believe a coup, and we'll find out more information about that, that got averted. This started off in, in so many ways as a race issue, a poverty versus riches issue, and, and it ended up bringing our nation together in ways that we could never have foreseen. This, it, it has been an absolute disaster, but it has brought together the stuff that makes the fabric of a country work. It's, it's like God's been involved. And as I was kind of looking at this and, and wanting to empathize with so many, I mean, I've, I've got voice note after voice note after voice note of, of people who've had their companies looted and lost enormous amounts. I've, I've got some of those voice notes have been voice notes of praise. It, is, it has been absolutely incredible. My, people saying, my business has got looted, but God protected this, or my business has got looted, but my staff are okay, and I just want to say, well done. I want to say, well done to, to people who, um, who've been helping. I, I have, honestly, my phone almost exploded with people who said to me, Ross, I need a contact. I want to bring food in here. I'm taking food out there. There were just people mobilized all across Olive Tree and all across the city, and I want to say I'm so desperately proud to be part of the Christian church in Durban and to be part of Olive Tree and to see all the people who risked their lives manning stations and who were brave enough to protect people who were vulnerable. I just want to say, well done. It's absolutely awesome. But today, I want to preach into what's going to be needed next. Uh, 
whilst away, I, I had time, and I, I was kind of in my daily reading of Scripture, I got stuck on a verse. It's not a massively inspiring verse, but I, I felt like the Spirit of God spoke to me through this verse. It's in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 2. It says this, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there, yet our God gave us courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Yet our God gave us courage. I want to talk about God-given courage. Courage, um, the word, it comes from the Latin word core. It means heart. In fact, the original word meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. But, but courage from a New Testament uh, description or definition is this, spirit-empowered conviction, boldness, and urgency, and it comes up about 50 times throughout Scripture. In, in some places of Scripture, it's an instruction. God says to Joshua, be, be courageous, strong, and courageous. It's a command to Joshua. And sometimes in Scripture, it's, it's attached to a promise. So, so God says to Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous, and then he says, for I will be with you. Again and again, you see it attached to a promise. Be strong and courageous, for the battle's not yours, but mine, God says. Or be strong and courageous, and then it says, and wait upon the Lord, and he will give you strength. That word strength actually means courage. God, God gives it as a command. He gives it as a, as a promise, and he gives it as a gift. As we wait for the Holy Spirit, we will receive power, and we'll become bold. It's a gift. We need bucket loads of courage in this next season. And so many of us are on adrenaline right now because we've, uh, we've just been in the trenches. And uh, lots and lots of phone calls I've had have just been of people who literally haven't slept. You've been organizing patrols and all kinds of things, and I want to say well done to you. But the next season's going to need real courage, deep, heartful courage from God. And so that's what I, what I want to preach about. And the reason that we're going to need so much courage is because we are called the rebuilders of cities. In Isaiah 61, it says this, it says, And they shall rebuild the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities. Whilst I was in Cape Town, uh, I, well, I was, I was in the Eastern Cape, but lots of Cape Townians were there. And uh, person after person after person said to me, now begins the tsunami of people leaving South Africa. Well, they'd say to me, we just burnt up billions, and there are going to be so many job losses. Well, they'd say, there goes South Africa, there go our kids, they're gone. I just heard one thing after the next, after the next, and, and I've been hearing it again and again and again. I've been hearing on the one side people full of faith, and I've been hearing on, on the other side people full of fear, and there's just been this bombardment of how the country is going down the tubes. And if we're going to rebuild cities, we're going to have to have bucket loads of courage. So I want to go to where this verse comes from, because he says, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there, yet God gave us courage. I want to I look at what happened in Philippi so that we can understand how courage comes about. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 16, and uh, this is quite a complicated piece of scripture, so you're going to need to listen to this. 
It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is Paul. He's on a missionary trip. He's arrived in Philippi. And it says, this slave earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of here. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans um, to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. If I was uh, to give this sermon a name, I'd say, how to grow in courage. What's fascinating about this text is that there are, whole, there are probably about five parties involved. There's a slave girl who is, um, she's interesting in herself because she is declaring the truth about God. So she knows how to talk the talk, but she can't walk the walk. She's, she understands the right things to say, but the motive of her heart is wrong. She's, she's mixed up. She has a demonic force enslaving her, and she's owned by people who are demonically driven out of greed. So they are using her to make money out of her demonic state. She's holding on to that demon because it enables her to tell people's fortune. This is a demonic, horrible situation. When Paul and Silas come in and they set her free, what this presumably couple or group of people, her owners do, is that they go and they draw a crowd and they start a us and them conversation, a Romans and Jews, a race conversation, to turn a crowd into an angry mob based on a lie so that they can destroy Paul and Silas for taking away their fortune teller. It's messy. And here's, here's what I want you to understand in, in all of these parties, because all of this lands up in, in Paul and Silas being beaten and thrown into jail. But, but in all of these parties, there's a spiritual problem. Now, this is why this is so important. Because if you'd gone to Philippi and you said, what just went down? If you arrived there the next day, you said to people, what just happened? They would say to you, there was a political problem. There was a race issue. There were, the Jews were trying to change the Romans. And so the Romans got upset and they took out the Jews. But if you'd spoken to Paul, he would have said, there was a spiritual problem. There was a 
demonically controlled person who was walking around telling people that we're from the Most High God. It was actually a demonic strategy, and I cast out the demon, and the result was the city exploded. It was a spiritual reaction to a spiritual problem. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about what's just happened. Because if you had to ask most South Africans what just happened, they would say to you, well, there was a Zuma issue, and a group of people started to name the problems in our country, the race-related, the poverty-riches difference, and the result was mobs came out and looted. But if you had to ask Jesus what the problem was, he would say, there's a, a spiritual battle that is out to destroy and absolutely ravage South Africa. And my people began to pray. And what could have been so much worse got thwarted. See, the problem is, if you only have eyes on the political, or you only have eyes on the race, or you only have eyes on the problem of, of of financial inequality, what will happen to you is that you'll get swept into fear and a problem that cannot be solved. And so you'll find yourself going, I don't think this country can be saved. I don't think we can get through this. You'll, get, you'll find yourself in anger, frustration, and fear. And so much of this country right now is getting swept in that river. But if you see this problem for what it really is from a spiritual perspective, you will, like Paul and Silas, be able to go into that prison praising God. So, so let me just read this. It says, they get chucked into jail. They've just been beaten. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. When you've been looted, Paul and Silas, beaten, and unjustly thrown into prison. And then you can have a worship service. You've got to know you have a different perspective on reality to everybody else. Paul and Silas are singing when everybody else would have been angry, they would have been cursing, they would have been they would have been letting the world have it, or they would have been in depression. But Paul and Silas are singing because they have a completely different reality about what's going on. I want to say this. If you want courage, and you're going to need it, if you want to live in God's will for your life, you're going to need courage. If you want courage, the first thing you've got to know is courage comes as a result of clarity. They were so crystal clear about the spiritual reality and their purpose, God's plan for their lives within their current situation, that they were able to go, this is not a man versus man, rich versus poor, Romans versus Jews issue. This is a spiritual reaction to a spiritual problem. I came into Philippi and Satan began to incite people against me so that they would stop us from bringing the gospel to set people free. This is what's going on in this situation, and this is what's going on in our situation. First thing, if you want to grow in courage, you have to be so crystal clear about your purpose. Now, I want to say this. Paul 
was crystal clear that he was not trying to solve a race issue between Jews and Romans. He was trying to solve a sin issue between God and man. Your purpose is not to solve what is impossible to solve. Your purpose is to preach what brings freedom that will eventually solve what is impossible to solve. First thing, you need to be crystal clear about your purpose. Second thing, they're singing. They're worshiping. How do you do that? You see, if you want courage to grow inside of your heart, you've got to know who's with you. They know who's with them. When, when Jesus comes to Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous, and, and then he says, because I'm with you. You've got to know who's with you. The result of them knowing who's with them is that they are not worried about what's around them because they know that who's with them is greater than what's around them. And so they start worshiping. Now, it's one thing to worship before you've been looted. It's one thing to worship even whilst you may be looted. You, when you worship, any true worship will open your heart. When you worship before or even whilst it's happening, that's understandable. When you start to worship after it's happened... That's extraordinary. They're worshiping after the damage is done. They're worshiping, yet though he slay me, I will still trust you. That's what's going on in this moment. They're worshiping despite it. It's like God's let them down and they are worshiping. And in that moment, they're not just opening their hearts, they're causing earthquakes. Because the scripture says, suddenly, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once... All the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Suddenly. This, this isn't just the story of, this, of Acts 16. This is the story of Acts 4. They get beaten and they start to worship God and they say, give us boldness and the building shakes. This is earthquake worship. When you start to worship, there's some of you who got looted and you worshiped. When, when you get what's taken from you and you begin to worship what you're beginning to say or what, you, what you're declaring over your life is that he who is with me is greater than he who is around me and I will prevail. And God loves, it's like a magnet. When you're around some old Christian folk who've walked the walk, if, if they've walked the walk for long enough, they've been hurt, betrayed, they've had loss, they, they, they've gone through it all. And when you hear them sing, great is thy faithfulness, they don't sing it. They have a different sound to the rest of us. When they sing that song, they're singing it despite nicks. And in that moment, when you see an older Christian who's got nicked and bruised and broken and battered and got back up again and they begin to worship, when you hear them sing, their song is like a magnet to God. In South Africa right now, we need to be a magnet to God in our song. They're singing. And it creates an earthquake. And then it says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I just want to be honest. 
if that earthquake had happened and I was in there, and suddenly my chains were loose, the doors were open, and I saw that prison guard about to kill himself with a sword, which is quite hardcore, I would have gone, Silas, where are they? Cheers, dude. Calm down. Don't worry about it. Bye. I would have been gone. But these guys see this completely differently. What we see by circumstances holding us back and then God breaking through circumstances, what we see as a miracle for us, Paul saw as a miracle for them. I just want to pause here for a moment. For some of us, over this week, you have realized that the miracle of provision over your life is not a miracle for you. It's a miracle for them. And I want to say, well done. I've I've literally had people, they've been messaging me all through the day. I I really, day and night, I hope you get some sleep sometime. But they've been saying, Ross, we're going, we're getting eggs from here. We're getting milk from here. We're getting... Chickens from here, we're getting meat from here, we're distributing it out, and you've been going 24-7. One of these days you're going to sleep. You know what that is? That's using your miracle. What I realized is that people who use their miracles for others live in miracles. People who who take what God's done for them and they give it away, they, they live in consistently what God's done for them. I have friends in Zim who have literally lost everything, had it given back, lost everything, had it given back, and again and again, they've lived as a miracle for someone else. Paul is living as a miracle for someone else. He didn't leave the prison until he was released from prison, even though there was no longer any door to stop him from walking out of prison. And the result of that was that in Philippi, The church started in a jail. Now, friends, if you want to grow in courage, you have to be crystal clear about God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is that you worship, is that you make disciples, is that you become like Jesus. God's plan for your life is that you rebuild the city. You have to be so crystal clear about that that you cannot get sucked into the race issue or the poverty issue or the political issue. The second thing is that you have to know whilst you're in God's plan for your life, greater is he who is with me than all of the world outside of me. But the third thing is whatever is in your hand, whatever miracle you've been given is not for you. It's for your purpose. See, I was leaving to come preach this morning. And I heard my wife shout at my kids, get ready, we're going to Cornubia. And I said to her, why are you going to Cornubia? She said, because there's a cleanup happening there. Every person I speak to who's, who's gone, man, I've been blessed. How do I bless? Man, I've been given, how do I give? Every person I've spoken to who's, who's done that, has grabbed onto courage, and here's the thing about courage, it's contagious. And it, it grows. It grows in you and it grows in others, and it begins to create a group of people who are courageous. And courageous people can literally exponentially change a city. Now, church, 
there is so much reason to hide in fear right now. And if you're going to base your reality on the political, the racial, and the economic issues, then I think you should leave. I think the country is too scary. But we're not called to do that. We have a God who wants to pour his courage out as a command, and he wants to give it to us as a gift, and he wants to partner with us so that he can give us miracles that we can share with us that will transform areas. And so church, in the pain and mess, I'm inviting you, I'm asking you, let's step up and let's begin to be the church. Let's go to the places that have been looted. Let's serve and watch how God gives us a new heart. Now, when I was preparing this, I, I found a prayer. It's by Joyce Myers. And she said this. She said, Dear Fear, I only refer to you as dear because of our long-term intimate relationship. And certainly not because you are dear to me in any way. In fact, you've been, tormenting, you've been tormenting me from start to finish. You've told me lies and prevented me from doing the things I wanted to do and should have done. You are indeed a miserable, wretched companion and one that I no longer am willing to be involved with. I'm writing you this letter to let you know that from this point forward, I'm breaking up with you. Although I may feel your presence, I will not bow down to your demands. I have a friend whose name is Jesus, and he has promised to never leave me or forsake me, but to be with me always. He is indeed a powerful friend, and although you do have some power, his is by far much greater than yours. You can come against me, but Jesus lives in me, and the power of the one who is in me is greater than you are. Church, I want you to say to fear, I'm breaking up with you. You've come into my life. You've taken intimate parts of me. I'm so, I know you so well that I can recognize when you're coming, and I'm breaking this up. This relationship is going to be over. You might come to me, but I'm going to bat you. You are going out of here. And so I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I, I want to just pray this. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, will you come to us as a church, as individuals? Will you come to us and will you... Fill us with courage. We renounce fear. We renounce the belief that there is no spiritual force in this. We renounce getting caught into political conversations that are fruitless and given to fear, or race conversations that make us racist and give us into fear. We renounce conversations of poverty that that leave us disabled. And God, we receive your command to be courageous. And we ask for your gift of courage by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, that you courageously went to the cross 
so that we could receive the forgiveness and the power of God. And so this week, God, as we think about all that's happening in Durban, will you give us courage? God, will you breathe courage on people? Will you begin to stir up people to live out the plan you have for their lives? God, will you begin to move people? I ask God for people who have been caught in flats and despair and fear. I ask God that you give them courage and they begin to walk out. I pray, Jesus, that courage will break out across our city. And I ask God that you will transform us by the power of your word. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The miracle that wasn't actually for you, that was for someone else. And God, give it away. You have a blessed week. May God be with you.